The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Hey, look at that. It's uh, Tuesday here at the 630 Chad Afternoon News. Jaylen Nye, Andrew Gross in for the next four hours to uh, make your afternoon more enjoyable, I suppose, and more informed. Bob Layton, um, before he le- leaves on a regular basis, and today was, was no different, comes over to my desk and says, so, I don't know who that was, so, what strange story am I going to wake up to today? Because he has a nap, oh, and then the alarm is the radio going off, and it's us. Really? And he says, I just never know what I'm going to wake up to. For an extra $50, I'll actually phone him directly. (laughs) (laughs) Although I'll probably forget, as you well know. Alarms come and go in my little world. Yeah, then I'm like, oh, I'm trying to think, okay, what stories do we have today? Wow. Got some odd ones for sure. Should probably... uh, Man, let's, you know, go to Houston, go to Texas and and take a look at this. Um, Man, you're just watching the ticker going across right now. 3,500 plus people rescued and just rescued in Houston so far. 17,000 people in shelters. You're watching this video, I know, along with the rest of us and, you know, jaw dropping. I can remember watching it during Katrina and thinking, what the hell is going on? And watching it here and the magnitude of it, Mm -hmm. it is unreal. And when you have more... More breaches, levees being breached or uh, reservoirs being uh, breached. Well, you know, you tell know, them get out. They're exactly. saying get out now. With, with practically no warning at all. It's uh, and it's not over yet, and, and nor will it be for quite some time as that uh, city deals with the water, but uh, the flooding, and then has to deal, of course, with the recovery from it. But when you start hearing that these dams that were built uh, around Houston were made. Uh, to to stand up to a one in one hundred year mm-hmm. flood, and this is a one in five hundred year flood. Uh, read this morning, a pair of seventy year old reservoir dams protects, uh, which protect downtown mm-hmm. Houston. Uh, they're overflowing, and they're releasing water, which will flood more homes in order to take some of the pressure off yeah. them. But it's not enough, and the rain continues to fall. Now it's not. I think as bad as... It but was, it's steady. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not as bad as they first anticipated today would be. Mm-hmm. But certainly the devastation in the city is beyond anyone's expectations. Yeah, Brenton said that there was a record uh, that, you know, that was a huge record set um, at one of uh, at one of the um, measuring stations. I know some of the last numbers I saw was like 76 centimeters has already fallen in some places. 60 plus still expected to fall. And they're talking as it moves over and it moves over towards Louisiana and then could come back a little bit. Oh, my gosh. You're still looking at days here. This, this, this mess, this disaster, um, and we talked about it yesterday with Natasha and we mm-hmm. talked about it yesterday with Nick who had family down in Houston. This is not a, a week and all the water is going to go away. No. A month and it's going to go away and everyone will be back to normal. This major Area, what this is it the fourth largest, fifth largest city in the in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, is going to be devastated for a very long time. Well, uh, that is absolutely true. The other fact to keep in mind, of course, is that all efforts are on rescue right now, mm-hmm. as opposed to recovery, recovery, and you know, uh, searching for. Uh, the statistics. So when you hear that uh, three lives have been lost, mm-hmm. that number is bound to climb substantially yeah. um, as the recovery starts, as people start looking for loved ones that they haven't seen. Yeah, maybe they're in a 
in a shelter of some kind. Perhaps they found higher ground or left the city altogether, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's just not a priority right now to put a number on that. The priority is to rescue those that they're able to reach. And, And that's the other part of this story. And we see it time and time again in natural disaster where the residents of any particular place just go above and beyond. The stories that are coming out of Houston right now are absolutely unreal. unreal. Just, I, I'm not a uh, trained first responder, but I own a boat. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go see what I can do. And rescuing people, rescuing, in some cases, animals. And then also those pictures where you see um, reptiles and sharks Swimming, well, some, well yeah. some of them have been you proven wonder, those, false. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a number of of, of falsehoods right. circulating on uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter. And see, that's my point. And and the two things that tend to happen in terms of disaster. And I'm always reminded of 9/11 and the picture that circulated of a plane about to strike uh, one of the towers. And then it was later learned, no, that's uh, that was a fraud, right? And I, and I just wonder, the two things that happen are fraudulent mm-hmm. Photoshop pictures come out, which I just, uh, who are you that you think that's a great time to come up with what a funny meme mm-hmm. about a natural disaster where people are losing lives, property? It's just ridiculous. And of course, the other is that scams start to surface, and this is how you can help people. And, uh, you know, again, the more established charities like Red Cross, um, I would personally recommend that that's how you help. Yeah. That that money will be used. You, you know you can trust those organizations. These Facebook posts and tweets and, you know, these links and emails that you're getting saying, well, you know, we're on the ground and we're doing this. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I don't know. I, I, it just, it saddens me that people always use uh-huh. this as an opportunity to make some bucks illegally. Uh, well, yeah, on the, on the backs of death and exactly. destruction. Yeah, exactly. But uh, as we've, we've come to know that these scammers don't care. They'll do it anyway, right. any way possible. So um, I was talking with Natasha this morning. So Natasha, mm-hmm. we talked to yesterday. Her family had lived through Katrina. She was, um, her, her parents' place was going to, was not far from where they were opening the reservoirs um, to, to let the, right. the, the water, um, the pressure down. Um, they were going to a hotel. They've made it to the hotel. Oh, they made it to the hotel, and they are safe now. And as she said this morning, now we just simply wait. We just wait. Wow. So, uh, you know, watching reports all last mm-hmm. evening and checking things out, and again, some of those stories. You know, we talked to Natasha yesterday, and we talked about the the practical challenges. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, well, we'll go to higher ground. Where is higher ground? Or we're going to go to a motel. Mm-hmm. Well, what motel? And how are you getting there? And how are you paying for it? Um, how long can you stay How for? long can you stay? How long can you afford to stay, right? And I know a lot of places are just opening up and it's free, and that's what happens in disasters. Um, but another of the stories that I saw last night, an interview, I think done by ABC, where they asked the lady why she hadn't left, and, and she said, I don't know how to leave. You know, everything's flooded around me. Like She, she just doesn't know how to leave. Mm-hmm. And I guess at this point, the flooding in her area is not so desperate that boats are arriving, but she literally can't get her car 
out into the street. And that that's a huge problem. And I know Jesperson this morning had uh, a woman on who was originally one of the historian laureates, I think, from Edmonton, who's mm. now living in, in Houston. Heard part of that. Yeah, and she was saying at one point, she, had, she was writing down the directions on her hand because the normal route that she would normally take to get out of her neighborhood is is not what she could take and so she had to write it down somewhere didn't have any paper but because it was so convoluted now because of what is safe what can't what's passable what's not passable uh yeah it was just hmm. how do you figure it out yeah and you know think about uh the small amount of flooding that we've had during torrential uh, downpours here in edmonton where those underpasses get flooded and and we're warned be very very careful it's deeper than it looks mm-hmm. there's a story out of houston now that a police officer's lost his yeah. life in his patrol car while attempting to get to work that's a that's a police officer mm-hmm. right so you know some of the dangers are very obvious some not so much right i it's one of those things where you just hold your breath and and hope it gets better really quickly yeah. you know president trump and the first lady arrived i think that in corpus christi a few hours ago so getting briefed on what's going on uh, down there and uh, and seeing the devastation firsthand now if all goes well. We will be talking with uh, Global National reporter Reed Feist at about 4.50 this afternoon. He arrived in Texas yesterday and uh, if, as we said, if all goes well, well, we'll check in with him to get the very latest coming up in a couple hours time on the 6.30 Chat Afternoon News. on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope you're having a great one. Another beautiful day out there today. It's going to be uh, hot tomorrow, getting up uh, 30 degrees, if not warmer tomorrow before slight cool down uh, into your weekend but still looking really good for this um, this week as I know some kids have gone back to school already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Others getting ready to go back to school. Mm. I know a lot of folks I heard lots of talk this morning from uh, parents saying, I haven't done any of the back to school stuff. And the last thing I want to do is go to shopping on the weekend when it's going to be really nice, or certainly not today or tomorrow when you're in your 30-degree mark. I was at South Edmonton Common on Sunday, yeah. and I was, uh, that as, look I, like? as I was driving in, I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know what? Uh, bundle up all that stress and put it on a back burner for a day, because we'll have uh, Dr. Gantz in tomorrow dealing specifically with the stress of going back to school again so he'll solve all your problems as he often <laughs> solves all of ours it's uh by the way i am stressed uh, because i guess the way you do university now is different than how i did university obviously it's different when i did university and hunter's getting ready for his third year at the u of a you went we'd ha- i'd have to make a special trip from charlottetown to halifax so i'd have to drive over usually the first or two years a couple of years with my parents and then in later years by myself and you'd line up in long lines and sign up for a course and the professor would be there or an ad or whatever and he would initial that you could get it then you took it all to the registrar's office and that's when they told you that there'd been a mistake and you can't take this course or the so there's computers now right <laughs> but hunter is in no way stressed about this and it's causing me stress i keep asking him have you picked your courses and he keeps going ah you know mostly mostly like it starts in a week what do you mean mostly 
but the way I guess it works now is people sign up for all kinds of courses they don't intend to take just to fill up their schedule. Then in the first week or after they meet the professor, drop they drop things and, and spaces open up. But do you remember putting those things together for either college or university where you had to have certain core requirements, so you had to get those done. There were certain courses that there was prerequisites to, so you had to make sure you got those yeah. done. He doesn't seem to have any of that stress. You know, it's been a long time. Like, it was 89 when I went to college, and I just remember I only had a couple optional courses to add to the credits and that sort of stuff. But in the in the broadcasting program, it was mm. very, very specific. This uh. is what you're taking. You're taking TV tech. You're taking TV production. You're taking radio tech. You're taking radio production. You're taking voice and speech. You're taking an English class if you had to um, because you could do a... A test on it to to get uh, what is it bypassed or mm-hmm. excluded from it, yep. um, and then a, and a few optionals here and there. I couldn't even tell you what my optional courses were. Well, that's the other thing that's changed. We had to take a music history class. Yeah, which I had was to, a cool class. I had to take an introductory music. literature uh, mm-hmm. course in business, which I've to this day still don't understand. I, I guess the university thought it'd be a good idea if we could read. But the thing with Hunter is I ask him questions, and maybe my vocabulary isn't up to date. Obviously, it isn't. But I'll say to him, okay, so what are your bird courses? And the bird courses. And, you know, at the U of A, you probably can take a bird course. What's a bird a course? When you've got a heavy oh, yeah, load, something like- you take a bird course, yeah. right? Like, so, you know, rocks for jocks, like geology, you know, intro geology or something like that, right? Um, and you get into those courses really quick because the required ones, they'll they'll have enough of those offered because they're required that you'll be able to get in. But it's those really, like the biggest bird course I took, weirdly, actually two in university, and I still remember them. One was uh, introductory introduction to retailing, and the other was import-export documentation. So it was like, yeah, I'll take those. Because I was taking them at the same time I'm taking I like... I human sexuality. <laughs> I took a sex class. Yeah, you know, I was distracted yeah. enough about that. <laughs> and that was going on at the residence anyways. Uh, the The introduction to retailing was actually really informative as mm-hmm. to how they put stock, where they put it, where they locate it, uh, what the philosophy is behind it, the psychology behind it. So I actually found that more interesting than I thought it would. But the funny thing is the export-import documentation course, which was a half-year course, uh, which I took, what, now 30 years ago, it was the dumbest, simplest course I've ever been in. It basically taught you over the course of four months how to fill out an import document or an mm-hmm. export document, right? But here's the funny thing about it. Um, it's the only course that I use word for word to this day. Being able to figure out, um, you know, how to write a good bill of lading. I used it when I was in the trucking industry as well. I bring in stuff, uh, you know, you buy stuff on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I find ways mm-hmm. to get out of paying duty. You know, just, it's amazing what course. And that's what I wanted Hunter to do. I told him, just take a selection of courses and figure out where your interests lie. Didn't, didn't he take something about Sweden? He, you know what? Or Finland or something. It turns out he, he's got a, a very diverse basis of interest because, yeah, he's taking courses about, like, uh, oligarchy in Finland or something. I'm like, what the, mm-hmm. what? But, you know, again, it's like, well, that's what was left by the time I finished. Well, then do it earlier. I don't, what? He's going to end up with a bachelor of... He's doing fine. His grades are fine. Well, who who doesn't do well in oligarchy and Finland courses? But he's he has taken some really serious courses. But he, I, he, here he is going into his third year. I don't think he's found that one thing that he's passionate about. Something, you know, and we've had this conversation in our family over the past uh, number of years. And... and People keep telling me, and I don't know if this is true, that 
men, that boys, men, it takes a little longer to find that thing that that is going to stick career-wise. Mm-hmm. Something that they truly, truly love. Like when I was 21 years old, I was I was anchoring newscasts. I was out working. I was done. That was it. I had no doubt what I wanted. Hmm. And I don't know if that's a fair comment to say that you know that uh, that females make that decision sooner or no sooner than guys, but a number of the families that I've talked to keep saying, oh yeah, that's uh, the, our boys are, are like that as well. Really? Our boys are like that, yeah. See, I've, I've always had a theory, and uh, hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble. Actually, I don't care if it does. I've always had a theory that women uh, plan for life and uh, men plan for the weekend. And, <laughs> and in some ways, even those individuals like myself who I got out of high school and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get into business. I wanted to be in management. I wanted to learn how to run a business. I did all of those things. I took all the right courses. I didn't take any time off to travel. And I went immediately from university into work life. And I worked diligently to move up um, the chain mm-hmm. at Algoma Steel, my first company. And then I realized years in that I wasn't going after what I was passionate about. I was going after what my dad was thinking I should be passionate yeah. in. Yeah. So I did all the right things. My dad was very proud of me uh, for doing all of those things, but it wasn't You were until making him happy, not yourself. I was, and into my 30s, I sort of thought, well, you know, you get a little older and your priorities change a little bit and you start, even in your 30s, and I, I would love to be in my 30s, even in your 30s, though, you start to look ahead and say, so wait a minute, is, is this the rest of my life? So... You know, where does this end? Ideally, what? I'm a vice president of a steel company living in Sault Ste. Marie. So is that, was that the dream? Right? And then you start thinking, you know what makes me actually happy is entertaining people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you, think about, you think back about, you know, your high school or even your family dinners. And to this day, I can still remember the first time I said something that made everybody at the family dinner laugh. And loved and that, that was feeling, it. but didn't see that as you know yeah. where my life would take I, me. I think you're very lucky. I think those of you, those of us, because I would include myself in this statement, who decide very early on or know very early on what they want to do and are lucky enough then to go on and do it for a very long time and get it right and get it right. That's yeah. that's really cool. I don't know what else. I would love to do if I wasn't in broadcasting. Hmm. Um, and I, I would still probably say, and this is being completely honest, that television news is still probably my absolute love. But it got to the point where I wasn't happy doing it anymore, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. There's still something there that draws me to it. But being on here on this radio station every day, doing what we're doing here, um, gives me that as much fulfillment as as my TV years did. It's interesting. I But I had no I had no doubt this is what I was going to yeah, do. I really. was going to be a news anchor, I was going to be a television news reporter, I was going to be a news anchor. I wanted the six o'clock news. The only thing I didn't do is make it to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Major market. Sure. It is funny. I had the opportunity one time after a show to sit down with a guy who was a multimillionaire. And I don't recall in what you know in what uh uh, business, he made his millions, but he made his millions, and he was retired, and he was young. He was in his forties, mm. made his money, and he's one of those guys who didn't need another ten million. Yeah. He, he was happy with I'm the, good. Yeah, yeah, fifty million he had or whatever. And we got talking, and we just got talking about over a few drinks about just the philosophy of life and and that sort of thing. It was an interesting conversation. And at one point, he said to me, "So ultimately, ideally, where do you want to see? Where do you where are you trying to get to? 
what what's close your eyes and tell me what the dream is so not still working or perhaps that's it or retired or what's your dream and i said my dream and i don't know why i said it i picked belize <laughs> and i said a shack on the beach in belize he and says he, well you could do that he, now good luck yeah he said good news you can afford that yeah. now yeah but are you willing to let go of everything and just go do that mm-hmm. and i thought about it for Weeks. Coach and I had the conversation on the weekend. Sell the house, mm-hmm. kick the kids out, get rid of your assets, have a quick uh, auction at the, you know. And the other thing that happens though too is family. I think your your yes. circumstances around that. If you're still solo and you can pack up and leave and go, no problem. Then yeah, maybe Toronto would have happened, or mm-hmm. had the opportunity in Vancouver. There's no way I wanted to live and work in Vancouver. Um, you know, I. It, but once I found my roots here, and once I loved the city that I was in, and certainly, um, you know, fell in love with Coach and the boys here and the in-laws. I, I'm good. I don't want to go anywhere. It does at this get point. more complicated, and you start thinking that you know you want to keep working, not necessarily for yourself, but perhaps to make sure that your children have that safety net. You want to make sure everybody's out of the nest and flying before you stop making money. Yeah. I mean, people used to ask me all the time, we were talking the other day about how you get the same questions in uh-huh. interviews when you're a comedian, and one of the questions you always get is, what's the hardest thing about doing comedy? And my answer is always quitting your day job, because that's the leap of faith you're going to have to take if you want to be an entertainer. You've got to actually say... It's that safety net. Right. I'm going to make my money doing this, because until you do that, you'll always be part-time. So I'm sort of feel now like having returned to a job... Um, <laughs> That I am sort of now in semi-retirement. That's that's kind of how I feel about comedy. Still love doing it. But being able to pick and choose a little bit more. I really like being able to pick and choose. But others and sometimes are picking and choosing for you because you can't <laughs> yeah. do it that's, because of. That's right. It's a juggling act. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Doesn't matter what you're doing. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.